So, welcome back to Pod, episode 28. Phil, how are you doing? Good, mate. Yeah, good, thank you. Another week, another podcast. I know. I'll come in. I know. It's, it's a good one to, to be. I mean, the 28th isn't a landmark for anyone, really. <laughs> but uh, I'm sure it's been doing it a long time. We've been nearly doing it. Well, we've done it well over six months. I can't even remember when we started it. About 29 weeks ago. Well, well no, she took weeks out, didn't we? Anyway. Mm. We've been doing it a while. We're seasoned now. Uh, got some, got some good guests. So we've even uh, set up our own fantasy league for the Six Nations. You got a team in there, Phil? I have. I've got uh, this week. I've I've gone heavily French as they're playing Italy. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm not very good at the rugby ones because um, I just I've got like a dislike for players and I won't put them in my team, even though they're going to score loads of points. <laughs> That's fair enough. He'd, uh, much better with the NFL ones, one imagines. Well, normally, yeah, this year I did manage to come last in that as well, but um, <laughs> the less we talk about that, the better. Any good fantasy league? Are you good at any fantasy league? I've won it. I've won my NFL one a couple of times. I just, just bad year for me this year. Is there a money pot in that one? There's a good money pot in that one, yeah. Why you put the effort into that one? Yeah. I've not decided what the prize for this one is yet. Uh, oh, Lambrini, surely. Probably will be a signed bottle of Lamborghini for me. <laughs> Maybe I was on this one because last night, just working my way through the last bit of tequila rose. So you might get a bottle of tequila rose depending who you are. Um, this week's pod, Charlie Davies. Good pod. Yeah, good pod. A uh, friend of mine, grew up with him, played with him for a, for a good four or five years. Um, and then he just went on to have, as you'll hear, one of the most incredible careers in rugby. <laughs> uh, with some good stories and and um, I'm adamant he enjoyed his time at all of them in both on and off the pitch um, but yeah uh, real nice lad brilliant to have him on and he's moved back into NLD so hopefully we'll see a bit more of him in and around the club uh, I will keep trying to pester him to play but uh, I think he's made up his mind a bit on that <laughs> I think I think the player might be out of the question for now, but we'll see. We'll see. See what happens when he gets up the club and gets around. Cause we, we, we talk about that anyway, but just watch out. I think you should watch out and count how many clangers he drops today because there are some big names he's dropping in this. It's it's hard not to drop a big name oh, when yeah. you've been to some of the clubs that he's been at, to be fair. All I, all I can say is I would not want to go on the piss on the person he went on the piss at while I was out in the French. Because I would not want to be trying to deal with that drunk. No, no, I, I don't envy that. I mean, I'm sure, considering he's an absolute French legend, that night out would have been incredible in the middle of Paris. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, having to put him in a taxi, I'm good. No, I imagine there's a lot of free free red wine being thrown around. But <laughs> who knows? A uh, few free donut kebabs on the way. Um Shall we get into it? Because, I mean, the Six Nations starts, but we don't really know enough about rugby to talk about that. No. Not yet. We normally have to uh, ask our guests to talk about rugby. So we'll uh, we'll talk to Charlie and then come back afterwards. So here we are. Charlie, how you doing? Very well, thank you. Yeah. How are you guys? Yeah, good, good. good. Phil, are you all right? Yeah, always good. Nice to see a, a friendly face on the other side of the camera, apart from Tom, obviously. My face is very friendly. Uh, so <laughs> for, uh, for those who don't know you, you're a scum off by trade. You, you came to Pavia's 
maybe an age group we're not we can't quite remember but you uh, started at Chesterfield and you then went through the Nottingham Academy break into the first team went at Trent so it's nice to have another member of Doxbridge Trent on the uh, on the pod so the team is getting bigger and better maybe we can challenge uh, some other universities at some point but we'll, we'll get around to that at a different time um you then advanced in your career playing multiple teams like Stad, Wasps, Newport and Northampton. You know, I do a little bit of spinning music and stuff. Don't really understand that. We'll get back to that at some point. Um, <laughs> you've just told me you're doing some project management stuff as well. So you kind of got fingers in a lot of pies. But when did you start playing rugby? Uh, stopped playing rugby uh, 2019. So this... Uh, Summer will be two years since I retired. Um, uh, retired when I was at Northampton. Uh, so I was 29 when I finished, which is which a lot of people sort of back, get baffled at a little bit, thinking it's quite quite an early age. Um, but I just reached a point in my life where um, I just I just wanted to press a reset button and sort of uh, explore some new things. Really, um, I sort of felt throughout my career I'd done a lot of things and experienced a lot of stuff and I just sort of wanted to it just got to a point mentally physically where I just felt like I needed to try something new yeah that's right I mean I asked you when you started but I like that I like starting on, on the end we work backwards <laughs> <laughs> that might have been your Prince 2 talking start at the goal and then work your way back um so when did you start playing and kind of who who got you into rugby I uh, started playing when I was uh nine years old uh Chesterfield like you said um, so I was always a keen football player before and then it was my dad who got me into rugby sort of my, my family's mum's side and dad's side have always been rugby uh, orientated so um, I don't think he really liked the fact that I was more, quite interested in kicking a ball around rather than running around with it in my hands so he decided to take me down when I was nine to sort of give it a go um, uh, obviously didn't know the rules but I think just running around and running into people sort of got me a bit of a buzz as a nine-year-old, so uh, I quickly uh, quit football and just played rugby all the time and just got an obsession with it. Um, so, yeah, nine years old, and then uh, just it all kicked off from there, really. Yeah, I loved for it from there. Did you have a, a rugby idol as you kind of moved into rugby and started playing through the ages? Um, yeah, well, actually, thinking back, like, so my dad's, my dad's side's Welsh, so I always sort of had to support Wales and... Um, uh, so I always watched the Welsh teams, but it was uh, growing up actually, um, as I came through, sort of uh, Dwayne Peel was my sort of idol scrum half. And then Mikey Phillips as well, who came through as, as soon as I started getting bigger, because I was quite a big scrum half. He was sort of the guy I looked at as well. So they were the sort of two guys that, uh, so two Welsh Welsh nines that I really sort of idolised quite, quite a lot, really. And then... Um, Probably an old school one that I always fancied myself as a bit of a centre at points in time. But uh, like I said, when I was growing up, I was very small and that's why I was put in the scrum half position. And then all of a sudden, when I hit 17, 18, I had some, some reason shot up. Um, but Scott Gibbs was another one, another Welsh person that I've sort of uh, idolised. Probably just because of that England try and that probably the happiest day. This try scored against England at Wembley, whenever it was. I think it was the happiest I've ever seen my old man. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, he was another idol of, of him, and um, yeah, that's what I think probably probably about it really. And uh, yeah, so it was either nines or twelves that I sort of uh, idolised really. Yeah, yeah. Did you kind of base your playing style on them as well? Who would you kind of say was like your similar playing style? 
Um, well, most definitely it was probably like Mike Phillips, really. He was sort of an extra back row on the field, um, which I sort of count. I wouldn't do that far, mate. I wouldn't start throwing out that sort of... (laughs) (laughs) Well, if if anyone's ever watched me, I just, I did enjoy, for some reason, stick my head into rooks and um, I did love to jackal. So, uh, and it was sort of a buzz for me to get a turnover more than than just do normal scrum half things for some reason. So, um, yeah, but like being that physical presence around the field, I love the defensive side of games and, but just getting involved, really. I'd, I'd always want to be in, in the physical encounters of games. And I think someone like Mike Phillips, uh, I took elements of his game to sort of um, into my own. And, and that was a sort of aggressive, abrasive style that he had. But then, you yeah, know, on the flip side, and uh, Dwayne Peel was just a brilliant organiser and distributor of the ball. Um, and the ball was always super fast whenever he played for Wales or Scarlets or Sale. Um, and... You know, he was just consistently very good with his passing, kicking and everything like that. So he was another one that I sort of emulated as well. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of, I guess, the next question leads me on to a question we got in from a, a fellow Pavia, Ian Robinson. He did, because he, we want to talk about the team you played in when you was at Pavia's. Um, I did get told that uh, a certain Wilmot um, did say you'd never make it. Um, so I want to know about the team you played in, but firstly, I think now's probably a good time for you to kind of give a reply to that comment. Well, um, I, I, I don't know if he's ever said that to my face, to be honest, Luke, but um, I'll just get, um, <laughs> he's running Nottingham now, isn't he? I think by the looks of Instagram. <laughs> so, um, uh, I, I don't know. I've, I mean, to be honest, if, if, if uh, Luke said it, uh, he might have said it, but I, I got told by quite a few people, if I'm honest. Um, you know, it's the old thing. When I went to my secondary school, I sort of uh, had an interview with the headmaster and he said, uh, I, he said, what do you want to do when you're older? And I said, well, as an 11 year old, I was like, I want to play professional rugby. That was my my thing. And, uh, you know, he sort of smirked and laughed at me. And I've had other people tell me that and sort of say I need to have a uh, look at other avenues. And, uh, you know, I got turned down from countless trials. Uh, you know, I'd probably... Uh, I'm the year below you on I Phil um, I think I sort of trialled under 18s but uh, NLD under 16s or under 18s and um, you know Phil Phil back in those days didn't have to trial he just turned up in the kit already like and, uh, <laughs> I'm not sure that's quite right <laughs> but um, star player wasn't it so um, but I mean back in the, I, I got rejected from a lot of these things growing up and um you know, the, the, it, it was hard and it was sort of a thing that I had to take on the chin a lot growing up. But I just sort of always had a thing in my head that I was going to play professional rugby and I wouldn't say no. So uh, if, if Luke was a, one of those that said it, then I sort of could turn around and smile at them and say, well, thank you for spurring me on, really. So I think it's quite an interesting point, that, because although, although Charlie just suggested that I did walk into every team I ever fancied. <laughs> <laughs> Sadly, that wasn't the case. Um <laughs> And, and and that sort of the academy group that me and Charlie were in um, was quite a few of us in that sort of position where we didn't go to like a private school and you know, we weren't particularly pushed forward to uh, EPC stuff or whatever they call it nowadays. And we ended up just sort of joining this, which can only be described as an absolutely ragtag bunch at Nottingham Academy, which ended up producing quite a few, you know, class players, not, I'm not bigging myself up. I wouldn't suggest myself as class, but you know, professional rugby players 
just from the fact that they were always told that no, you don't fit the you don't fit the England badge at this age group. You don't fit the Leicester Tigers or the Northampton Saints badge at this age group. You know your your school's not pushed you forward. Da da da. You know myself, Charlie, and a few others. You know have come through. Stokesy would be another one. Come through and kind of proved proved everyone wrong. Definitely, yeah. No, I back you up on that, Phil. Like, like you said, the, it was the old Tuesday nights, wasn't it? And occasional Thursdays in Nottingham Academy, and it was absolutely dire. The, the, the floodlights were so bad. You know, kicked onto one of the the boggy pitch at the back, um, and you know, like you said, it was just. But it was it was a good atmosphere. These guys who just wanted to turn up and wanted to play, and that was the main thing. I think like a lot of us just wanted to play and prove and almost. Probably had a bit of a chip on our shoulders in the sense that we wanted to prove people that, you know, we were good enough to be there. And I think there is a lot wrong. I don't know these days what grassroots is like with the system of selecting and um, scouting players for these things. But there is a lot of guys that fall through the net um, because they're not from a big rugby school or they haven't been able to be in an academy since they were 11 years old and be looked at. So... Um, like I said, we were a bit of a ragtag bunch, but we turned up against you know the likes of Leicester Tigers Academy, and you know, throw it back to you, Phil. On that, I remember playing. We we just lost it against a full time professional academy outfit, and I think you died that day. Scored about four or five tries, and yeah. I, had a, I had a good day. That 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 yeah, is story curtails the Neil Back story, which I'm yeah. to tell on this podcast and maybe we should hold that off anyway again today but um yeah let's just say I, I hindered my chances of ever playing for Leicester Tigers that day by uh letting Mr Back know what I thought of his club um <laughs> to his face um but yeah I mean we did have a pretty good team and and a lot of us got the opportunity to to try that first team thing and, and for a couple of us it kind of stuck um I, I mean Tom I don't know what you want to go into first um, but I, I think one thing I wanted to hear from Charlie was one of the things we talk about Charlie normally is is touring and going on tours with rugby teams. Um, and, and I'm pretty sure I'm right in thinking this, but your first Nottingham pre-season tour was an absolute eye-opener for you, I believe. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, we went down to Portsmouth. Yes, yeah, so we were at the uh, the Navy base in Portsmouth. The Navy base in Portsmouth. And we were training, you know, pretty hard, weren't we? It was sort of three times a day or two, three times a day. And and then all of a sudden midweek, and I thought, you know, I knew there would like, be beers involved at some point. I got pre-warmed on the bus on the way down. And um, we, I thought that would be the end of the week. I thought sort of train Monday to Friday and then end of the week we'd have a good one together. And then it was on the Wednesday night we had a court session. No, mate, it was the first night. Is it the first night? Well, there you go. The first night we got there. That's <laughs> so, about it, didn't it, really? <laughs> oh, that's, well, that's the thing. My mind's blurry about it all. So, um, well, the first night, yeah. And then... Well, we got down there. We did that like, light touch session. Yeah. Just as a bit of a blowout after the bus. And then Glax brought us all in. And he was like, I've got to go to London tomorrow, boys. So you've got, you've got tomorrow off. You know, do what you want. Yeah. See you, see you Wednesday morning at 9am. Yeah. Because I mean, well, it was um, old, uh, well, Nottingham hero of uh, David Jackson. Um, I can't even describe the stuff that he got me to drink, and it's just because I, I was the youngest on tour, um, and basically, 
I somehow ended up in, a, in, I don't think I made it into the army, into the Navy barracks. I ended up in the bush on the outside of it and woke up and basically had to get dragged to training the next morning. <laughs> and then, and then I had to, and then that's the way I learned how to bar up really and just get on with it. And sort of, it was a good learning curve because everyone else was out there training and sort of going, yeah, I feel like crap. I'm getting on with it. And, uh, um, I think that was one of the worst days of my life because I think the first thing the court session on the night of which I've got a story about you on which is not too bad but it's quite funny the next day we had a 10am like real quick real sharp fitness test which lasted like three minutes but about 50% of people were horrendously ill doing it cricket in the courtyard for like hours after on the Tuesday and then Wednesday, Thursday was tough. And Thursday night we went to, was it Tiger Tiger? Yeah, yeah. Tiger Tiger, yeah. But this, the, the first, the first day, so we had like a proper court session, which Nottingham did two or three times a year. And they were always brutal, like horrendously brutal. This was probably my second one. So I knew, I knew the score and I knew to be very quiet and just drink when told to drink, and who to sit next to. Charlie, I think, went and sat between, I think I got, might have been next to Rousey. Well, I got given Rousey as a, Nick Rouse as a mentor. So, like, Rousey's your mentor, you have to go sit next to him. Uh, it's possibly the worst mentor to have. Uh, second, row, second row and a young nine sat next to each other. So, you were down to your pants within probably about 30 seconds. Yeah. Um, and you were on you were on drink duty, weren't you? So every time someone needed a new can, you would take the empty can to the bin and bring them a new can. Yeah. So Charlie was on that with probably with Wilmot. I think so. And I think Dave Marshall. Yeah. So and three pavers lads all on the all on the drink the drink run. <laughs> and it just got worse and worse to the point where Charlie would like run over to get someone a drink, just fall over knock the bin somewhere, the bin that now contained empties and people's innards. And it was just, it just got horrendous. And then we went into town and I don't, I I can't remember Charlie in the bar, but I'm sure he was there. But I've never seen a group of players deteriorate so quickly on the first night of a pre-season tour. (laughs) It It was horrendous. The thing as well, being a mentor, being mentored by Nick Rouse and, um, you know, like such a good bloke, but he he sort of said, right, if you're my, if I'm mentoring you, you have to go drink for drink with me. <laughs> um, so that was a thing. I think within the first fifteen minutes, I was gone because I think the first thing he did was sink two cans of Stella, and he was like, you have to sink two cans of Stella. And then everything that he drank, I have to drink. Um, and then it just, yeah, it just. I I did make it out, which yeah. some feet, but and I have thinking about it now I have some blurred thing but all I know is I got somebody pulled me out of a bush in the morning basically <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I think I was pulling thorns out of my arm and my hands all all week the absolute regard and safety for young players and stuff like that he's alright you know it's fine but yeah, be fine. It, was all, it was all all good yeah Ringing back that up. was that was also the, the tour where we left Jack on the marching square at the end of the night I can't remember that. <laughs> yeah. So Jack was like the, I think I've told us already, was the officer who was sort yeah. of showing us around the the camp. And he came out with us that night. And I think Lee Morley and a another, and I don't want to name him because he might still be involved, um, had to carry him up the driveway 
couldn't like get him to tell him where he actually stayed. So they, they just plonked him on the marching square. And in the morning, he was woken up by the by the admiral on the marching square, and and essentially told that he needed to leave the navy. <laughs> isn't isn't this the bloke that came and then worked? Yeah, he came and worked for us after. Yeah, amazing, yeah. absolutely amazing. Um, before we continue talking about tours, um, so you, you were at Nottingham, and then you went to Stad. Now. I've heard how you got to Stad. It's quite an interesting story, but I've not heard the story yet. Um, so would you, would you like to let us know yeah. how that came about? So, um, <clears throat> like you said, it's quite a weird and um, yeah, very strange way of getting into a, into a professional output. Um, so when I was sort of 16, 17, nearly 17, I uh, went on a holiday, skiing holiday with my family and a load of my mates and uh, went to this uh, place called Abdelwes and uh, stayed in this hotel, having like dinners and stuff in the hotel and the owner of the hotel was walking around just checking on tables, just introducing himself, a French fellow called Matthias and he was just going around tables, introducing himself, being a good host and, and whatnot and uh, sort of went around our table and uh, said our introduced to, to each of us and asked each of us like what we did or what we wanted to do because you could see that me and my mates are obviously 16 17 years of age so so what, what do you guys want to do and I turned around and said oh, I want to play professional rugby and he said oh well you know do you fancy having a good chat about it and I was kind of a bit like yeah cool so he took me to, took me to the bar and had a good good sort of conversation um and he sort of quite early on into our conversation talking about rugby he said oh well you do realize I'm the chief exec of staff on say um, as well as owning this hotel and uh and I was a bit like Jesus obviously Stad's such a big club um such a well-known and um, famous club for everything their branding down to the players and success they've had in the past but um so obviously I was a bit sort of shocked and we ended up having this sort of couple of hours conversation um he then gave me his card and said, oh, I would, I'd love to see you play, um, send any clips you've got uh, of you playing and check, check them out and uh, pass them on if, if, if they're any good and see, see what happens, really. And I was like, well, you know, amazing. Um, and then just from that then point on, uh, literally any game that I played in that was filmed of any sort, um, I'd send over. Um, and I was really persistent with it, um, you know, help, help with the parents as well to sort of get things sorted and send it over. But it was just sort of, you know, knowing, right, can to keep sending it? And he, he, to be fair with them, was, would ask, have you got any more to send over and keep sending them over and just, you know, whatnot. That sort of happened sort of for over a year. I was sending them for well over a year, um, being like, still want to play professional. Uh, and then I was... Please. Please. Yeah. <laughs> Just now, Charlie, please. On the door, persistence beats resistance a little bit, doesn't it? <laughs> um, um, but it's, uh, yeah, so that I was in uh, at, at Trent at 18 years old, but playing with the um, Nottingham first team um, and then got an invite, uh, an email, sort of email and a phone call sort of saying, do you want to come out for a trial? Um, and it was around... December of 2018 um he said do you want to come out for a trial and I said oh, of course yeah definitely it was a three-day 
two or three day trial. It wasn't 2018. No, 2008. 2008. <laughs> yeah. Was yeah. yeah, sorry. Um, 2008, sorry. Um, yeah. December, December 08, me out for a trial, went over to Paris, um, and in my head I thought, oh, I'm just going to go over there, train with the academy, and, you know, that's what I was going for, the academy contract, and um, turned up, and it was like, uh, literally, first training session, first team, star-studded, Parise, Hernandez, um, Leguizamon, sort of Boxies, etc. Bastaro, and I was just like walking around, catching flies a bit, and <laughs> like, what is going on here? I thought I'd be thinking, but I mean, the worst thing was the first session we did was a little skills thing, and then the second was straight into a weight session. And if anyone knows me back then, I didn't really do much gym at all, and uh, and especially when we trained at Nottingham, the fitness. Conditioner Joe Brunn, who was a Frenchman, would not let especially young guys do upper body, um, chest bench press, like shoulder press, or anything to build muscles because he was so concerned about injuries, which was great as a young age. I would I would always now since probably advise it a little bit because um, you know he was building like a good core strength around you, but he never did let us do anything like that. And then obviously the first session I go into these guys is this big upper body hypertrophy session. <laughs> Literally, I'm just like struggling. It was like 30 seconds on, 30 seconds on, off on these stations going around, but like your bench press. And obviously, uh, these guys are all doing like 30 seconds, 100 kilo, 120 kilo plus bench. I'm, I'm like having to strip it down to like 40 odd kilos and stuff. And they're like, who's <laughs> this guy? Who's this guy? And I was nearly sick at the end of the session. I'd never had a weight session like that before. I was like, oh my God, it's ruined. Like, I've ruined everything now. Um, but then thankfully, obviously the skills were up, but we did a couple of like team sessions and other skill sessions. And um, I always sort of, as a young guy, because I wasn't big, worked on skills. So skills kind of like pay the dividends a little bit. And uh, the trial just couldn't have gone any better, to be honest. And then the coach was Ewan McKenzie at the time, Australian guy who coached Australia after it. And um, he sort of was very good talking to me. Um, and the other coach was... Uh, the late uh, Christoph Dominici as well, um, obviously passed away not too long ago. Um, and they obviously were quizzing me on stuff and obviously made made an impression. And uh, Ewan McKenzie offered me a uh, a sort of bog-standard minimal um, academy contract and said, yeah, we'll do sign for us in the summer and come over and see how you go sort of thing. And then we'll, we'll take it from there. And then, yeah, so that's how it happened. I just remember you coming, <clears throat> so we knew you had gone for a trial I just remember you coming back like because we I think it was like because me and I played eight and Charlie played nine and so we would have a bit of conversation during a training session especially back then when the training sessions weren't so professional I think it's fair to say um, and you've been like yeah I'm just probably going to go over there just train with the academy and see what it's like you know they might they might not want me but uh, it's worth a go. I was like, of course it is. Comes back, she's seen the fucking smile on his face. It was ridiculous. He was like, oh, you never guess what. I've just rocked up and it's only like Parise playing number eight and I'm playing number nine. And I was like, you're an absolute cunt. I absolutely hate you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I walked away from that. Like you said, like Phil said, I, I went there with no sort of, nothing to lose and was just like, if anything, it's an experience to sort of, if nothing happened of it and I didn't have a career, I can say, oh, that I've got an opportunity like that to go over there and even train with such like world renowned players that sort of massive deal, especially as an 18 year old and 
Mm. Um, yeah, so like I said, I, I was absolutely buzzing. I didn't know at the time whether they had impressed or not. They were very sort of kept their cards close to their chest. And um, so, yeah, just it, it was just a, I just got a buzz off just being out there and having that experience and wearing a bit of stab kit and, and whatnot. And <laughs> the gears, the gears were amazing. <laughs> <laughs> was uh, playing out of stad what it, you, we have heard it is like playing for a French team? Yeah. Oh, 20 minutes down the road, you've got to pull the coach over so someone can have a fag, uh, get back again. and wasn't quite to... Well, actually, I, I must admit, um, we did yeah. have a meeting at one point where the team manager, a uh, guy called Alan, uh, said, um, don't, pretty much like, don't mind everyone, like guys smoking and stuff, but can you just wait till the fact... We used to have fans at every training session. And he was like, can you just wait at least till the fans have gone to... to <laughs> You know, it's like, I mean, but they would, it would be star players as well. Like, you know, I'm not going to name names, but it'd be star players who would just walk up the pitch and have a thing. But then they'd go on a pitch and it's just, I think, the French way and they just wouldn't be out of breath. It would just be fine. Like, it's the, it's the way that they could they could do it. So, but yeah, like train, training over there was, it, it was very different from training over here once. I, I, there was a massive contrast for once I came back to England. Um, you know, a lot of it was just 15 on 15, full bosh, smash each other. Um, and then half the players thought it was touch, half the players thought it was smash. And then you just have the um, coaches yelling. And then I, 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 like, I think I learned a lot from uh, just talking to a lot of the players more than the coaching. Because um, unfortunately, you and McKenzie got, uh, this is the way it was in France. We were top four in October. And if the fact the season started in August, we were top four in October. And uh, the president wasn't happy with our position in the league. And you and Mackenzie got fired. Um, so that's just the way the French are. Um, and I, he was really good with me. And Dominici was really good with me as well. Um, Dominici didn't really speak much French, but he would take really try with me and um, and you and obviously with his knowledge, I was learning a lot then. We then got two French coaches in, and uh, one one was just he just hated English players, foreign players, I think, and just you know really really uh, had to develop some thick skin quite quickly. Thankfully, he didn't understand everything he was saying to me, but um, but yeah, so I learned a lot more just from talking to the players, and um, you know uh, there was Julian Dupuy was the nine there, and he. He spoke good English from being at Leicester. He, he helped me a lot. And there was a South African one called uh, Noel Olschlick who helped me a tremendous amount. So, But I think it was just, I had to learn quickly. It was such a standard as well. that I had to sort of really get myself up to gear to to be there. But um, yeah, the, the difference between over there to over here is quite different. Yeah. What was it like, kind of, we'll go on to the, the, the stuff people really want to hear, the drinking side of things in a minute. But what was it like as a, a young lad going over to fun country, living. Was it? Did you feel isolated at any point, or were the team just that? Yes. Yeah, so um, I made obviously like there was a couple of like the young French guys that were very good with me. Um, obviously, the language barrier was tough um, to begin with, and obviously I wasn't. I mean, you had the likes of um, I had quite a few English-speaking players that had gone over there who were great with me. The you know Ollie Phillips, Haskell. Um, Hugo Southwell, a couple of Aussie Saffers, South Africans as well that you know that were really good with me. Um, and uh, there was one particular French academy fly half called Aristide that really looked after me, showed me around Paris. But 
Um, I, I look back on that time in Paris and I wish to a certain extent that I was a couple years older and a bit more mature and a bit more self-assured about myself. It was such a big thing to grasp to move one only to move to another country where I didn't speak the language. Um, but then also to move to a, to go into a field of professional sport. Um, and I know like saying the laughing joke with cigarettes and whatnot, but the level to go up to training and day in, day out, uh, I'm not used to training every single day, weights every single day, um, you know, being under pressure, having, you know, a lot of fans there and, things like that so it, it was a thing I felt like I could rise to the occasion and I did but it, it it was I did I did find myself getting quite lonely at times in Paris and I think that's when I got offered I got offered another two years to stay in Paris and I also got offered two years to go to Wasps and where it kind of changed for me was when I went to I got picked for England 20s and I went to spend a week in an England under 20 camp before playing uh, France and the Six Nations I had a week with English lads who, where I could have a lot more engagement and, and um, be involved a lot more. Um, and I think that was a bit of a turning point for me where I sort of thought, you know, I, I did struggle at times in Paris being on my own a lot with stuff. And um, I mean, my French got really good and I had to learn it part of my contract. What the French do very well is that in the academy, you have to study. You have to. You're in. A, you essentially got an academy contract to be 23. You can obviously earn a lot of money, but they do like bonus schemes with if you're playing the first team all the time. But until you're 23, you have to study. And you have to. Come, you have to come out. So I do look back. If I stayed that other two years, I'd have done a business degree in French and probably be laughing now with being out of rugby. But um, yeah, just that period where it just it just you know I think I was just a little bit too young to sort of secure myself and be mature enough to to be out there on my own for another couple of years. So that's where it sort of swung for me. And I think that's why I came back. Yeah. The difference as well. So <clears throat> I'm not crapping on my time at Nottingham, but we that period, especially when me and Charlie sort of broke in, it was so unprofessional compared to Stade Francais or a premiership team. So I was at that point, I was at uni in Durham and I would train Thursday, Friday, and um, either play or bench on the Sunday, on the on the Saturday or the Sunday. And like there was multiple other lads who were semi-pro. You know, Charlie was at uni and probably did about as much training as I did. But we we were we were a good quality team, and you know, came top three, top four every year. But then to jump into like a full professional style outfit, which you know, in my time at Nottingham, we got there towards the end. But it, it it's it's so different. And then the language barrier as well must have just been, well, it, for me, it would have been impossible because my French is absolutely hideous. But <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like I said, it was, it was, it was very um, diff- different and difficult at, the, at, the, at first. Um, not saying that, like, the guys there were welcoming. I love the French life culture players at that club I couldn't really speak a bad word about any of them that none of them were unwelcoming um but it, just like you said it's, I think if I was um you looked at some of the other older English players that came in who were, were self-assured and were experienced in training and playing at that level it made their life a lot easier then to sort of break barriers down whereas for me I was not only 
can't speak your language, but also you don't have a clue who the hell I am and whether I'm any good at the sport. And I think rugby has a sort of a thing with players. If you come into a new environment, it doesn't matter. Essentially, like you, you have to prove yourself as well. And especially if you've got nothing behind you, it was kind of a double-edged sword for me to then prove myself. Thankfully, I did. And, um, you know, and uh, like I, I did, the only problem as well, like thinking about it, I did have quite a lot of injuries in France. And I think the physio level from I mean France think if you've got a torn ankle or whatever you spray some of their magic spray or get a sponge out and it'll sort it out so it's probably that horrendous bench sessions you're doing mate yeah probably that's <laughs> not saying why I'm getting injured all the time so yeah. doing too much bench yeah, Bruno won't be having any of that in Narbonne <laughs> no so yeah it was just like it was yeah it was a double sort of that double-edged sword and um but I look back on it and I don't regret Obviously, I don't regret it because it was amazing. Um, I had some of the best experiences. You know, I got to play, uh, played at the Stade de France, uh, you know, 80,000 80, people. I've never like played in front of anything else bigger than that since I was 19. And uh, played, obviously, with some world-class players, played against some world-class players. Um, my first start for Stade 19, I started against Johnny Wilkinson and Sonny Bill Williams and and what so you know um i look back and i i just smile and i just go wow that was you know such a big um big big thing and i'm so, so lucky to have, to have been able to do that um but also i think if i was there maybe a couple of years, i always had the intention of potentially going back out to france because like i said i did love the lifestyle culture and french way and stuff and um but unfortunately it didn't quite work out that way but yeah so i always look back on it with a with a big smile on on stad yeah, no, sounds like a, a good time. Now, before we move on to Phil's package, people do. People are going to want to know what the boozing was like. In, in Paris? Yeah. Um, well, like we said, with the, I mean, obviously, I was just, I'm going to contradict myself a little bit because uh, the obviously, I said, the professional standard sort of goes up when he went to Paris, but... <laughs> I remember turning up to one training session and um, sort of just before the session, we had a video, video analysis sort of thing, um, which over there was just about two hours long because the coach would go through the whole game, wouldn't pick out specific things to learn. On. It would be two hours of him having a go. At nice. Really pretty much. But then we'd go out, we'd finish the video, we'd go out to the pitch and then there was a big table, couple of tables set up with bread, foie gras, everything, bottles of red wine, and whatnot, and I was just like, "What? What's going on here?" Literally putting my boots on and walking outside, and boys are just tucking in and just having. I, I think I had about four, or, four or five glasses of wine before this training session, probably half cut because obviously Phil, like you said before, I was a bit of a lightweight back in the day, and uh, <laughs> probably had the best, probably had the best session I've ever had. It was backdoor and everything, everything you know. Going on, but, um, yeah, so that 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 was even during a training session. They loved to have a glass of wine. Um, but boozing on essential I mean I used to go out a lot with the younger guys and a person that used to take me out a lot was Matty Abastero and that man is about three times the size of me and he'd do a Nick Rouse to me and go drink for drink with me but I mean a, a couple of times I've had to get him over in a taxi so I was quite happy with that um, that used to be the task yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> I just, trying to persuade a taxi driver to take that home <laughs> No, no, no. He's fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, he, he was, he was, a, he was a, na a name in Paris, so he's a bit of a That was a privilege to take him home, wasn't it? But yeah, I didn't really get to... Um, I went to a couple of fancy 
clubs and bars and stuff. But um, he used to take me, and the only guys used to take me to a place called Cafe Oz, which is basically the French version of uh, Walkabout. So, nice. Yeah. nice. Your standards don't change. That was a bit of my scene back then, so I was happy days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a crack on. But um, yeah, I didn't get invited to many of the, the fancy sort of private parties that you hear about or anything like that. But for some of them, I'm quite glad I probably didn't. Um, you know, the stories of Max and whatnot. But um, yeah, so, uh, but no, it was a good time in Paris. Uh, love, love that city. And uh, I've been back since once and, you know, sort of reminisce walking around it. And, uh, yeah, so it was a good time. So now before we uh, come back to your time, this side of the channel, Phil, would you like to get your package out, Charlie? <clears throat> won't be the first time. <laughs> Probably won't be the last. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, right, if we start with red or green... Red. Favourite beverage? Gin and tonic. Uh, wasps or saints? <laughs> um, wasps. Uh, last time you wet yourself? Uh, Budapest two years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Favourite rugby position? Uh, Twelve. Best player you have played with? Best player I've played with? Um, oh, so many. Uh, oh, that's a tough one, that. Very tough. I would say... for it's This is an off-secure one, but a guy called Benny Jacobs, he's Australian centre, just got countless time on the ball. Like, never seen someone have so much time on the ball. So, I'll say him. Very tough decision, that. That's a, no, I'm, not, I'm not offended. Um, <laughs> deep house or electro house? Uh, deep house. Nice. I don't know what that means. Uh, favorite opposition? Um, favorite opposition. I used to love get really up for playing Harlequins. And I don't know if you know either of these people. I think you might know one of them, John T or Jim. Uh, is it <laughs> Jim? <laughs> Yes, yeah. it's always the right answer. Always the right answer. Hello, it's the goat. Here you are, through this week's episode. Hope you uh, hope you're enjoying it. Hope Phil's package didn't offend you too much this week. Just thought uh, I'd drop in to remind you. You can find us on Facebook, uh, and you can find us on Instagram. You got to search for at Pavs Pod, and also you can subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple. These are YouTube and Google podcasts. If you can find us on there, give us a five star rating. Help us get the uh, the big bucks and the big big names on the show. Um, go back to the show. There's also been a little bit of recording happen, so it's worth letting you know. We asked Charlie what happened when he came back to the UK. Um, so coming back from Stads, um, obviously I signed. Uh, a two-year contract with Wasps um, and obviously moving to London. Um, and it, it was just, you know, it was going to from another prestigious, one prestigious club to another. And I think 
there was a essence of me wanting to go to Wasp because they won a lot of stuff. And I think a lot of people, especially back then, used to sign for Wasp to, to go and win things and be a part of a winning team. And um, unfortunately, I think when I joined, the it was a bit of a transition period. Um, sort of within that season, uh, well, at the end of the season, coaches were changed and, and whatnot. But yeah, so I just sort of came back to London, moved into a, 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 two, a three-bed house with um, a lad called Phil McKenzie, who's a Canadian player who's, if anyone wants fitness stuff online, he's got a big page called Lean Squad and he's basically the Canadian version of um, Joe Wicks. Um, and, uh, and then another lad, Mark Atkinson, who um, plays for Gloucester now. Um, it's quite a regular player, big, big 12. Um, so three of us used to live, live together. And, um, you know, back in, back in our, in that year, we sort of, um, the three of us were young players and sort of on the fringe, sort of third, third choice for most of the time. And, uh, but we, we sort of embraced London to its fullest and, uh, we'd, uh, have, um, our, our Wednesday night was our sort of Saturday really back then because we play on the Monday night, uh, for the A-League. Um, and then we kind of knew we weren't be involved with the unless unless it was an injury, we'd be obviously be sensible and stuff. But Wednesday night was our sort of go to um, to go out, and then but then it sort of words sort of start spreading around a little bit in London and uh, in the in the team. And the odd Wednesday night we'd have uh, <laughs> random first team players like turning up, being like, "Are you are you guys uh, having a Wednesday night madness or something midweek madness?" And we're like, "No, not this week." Like, but then, on the off chance they'd probably join us, and we'd probably get you know sort of go into the big smoke and see the big city lights sort of thing like that. But um, yeah, but like Wasps was, um, it was, you know, I was there for five years uh, and I loved that club. Um, and I went through period of obviously my first year, obviously it was a bit of a transition. Second year, Die Young took over. Um, and uh, fortunately that year was not great. We only just survived um, relegation against Newcastle and it came down to the last game and um, I remember starting that game and it was, you know, I, I think that was the most nervous I think I've been before a game because if they beat us by a certain amount of points we were going down if we got, you know, it, it literally was small margins and um, I, I pulled my hamstring in the sort of first 30 minutes but I had to watch it on the sideline and obviously it was very tense but thankfully we stayed up um, and then we sort of progressed, started progressing up and the club started building up again and um Obviously, this day and age now, they've, they've, they've you know they were prem final last year, and they've they've built them right back up into the mix of being a real top four team. And um, but yeah, like the there's an old adage with with wasps of um, once you're a wasp, always a wasp. And I think it's very true. You sort of there's a small there's sort of sort of ten ten or so of us from wasps that whether you were, they were there for a, a year or two or five years like myself who or who are still there. Um, have got like a really tight knit group and keep in contact quite a lot. And the friends and me memories I made at that club were, were massive. Um, so set aside from the rugby, just the sort of experience of being in London and the friends I made at, at that place, you know, it brings a big smile to my face really. So, um, but in rugby terms, it was obviously very good as well. So I had a lot of, lot of experience played um, sort of battling with Joe Simpson um, for mm -hmm. first position. Joe, Looking back, Joe, obviously more often than not was number one. Um, I had a couple of seasons where I felt I, I was above him, and um, but it just sort of 
he he sort of was always probably number one and um but we we had a really good battle and a good relationship and um yeah so it's it was it was good time at wasps yeah i mean for people that enjoy watching prem rugby because i know it's not everyone's cup of tea die young is one of the names that everyone knows what was it like uh playing under him yeah good i mean um so for the first like few years like i i find him brilliant um and i thought he was just direct honest and and whatnot i think we kind of towards the end of my time um butted heads a little bit and that would be frustration for me or you know him wanting certain things from me and you know when you when as a player when you're not all you want to do is play you want to play at the weekend and you're obviously going to be frustrated and then there were occasions where I'd be very frustrated because I knew I deserved to be number one or starting or playing more or whatnot and then there'd be occasions where I get that chance and I didn't take it as well as I could have so I think towards the end of our my time at Wasp we kind of butted heads but I, I left Wasp with a lot of respect for the guy. Um, we were always pretty honest with each other. And, um, you know, I think when I left there, I, he had the, like, changing room. And um, I, yeah, like I said, I, I've, got, I've only got respect for the guy. And, I, you know, it, it, I had a really good time being under, under him. Like I said, butted heads. But you butt heads with any coach. You're going to have disagreements with anyone. Um, yeah. and, uh, he gave me a lot of opportunities as well. Um, and he, you know, he, he backed me in, in a lot of occasions and and whatnot. So, um, yeah, he, but interesting character, you know. <laughs> it's quite weird having a coach who's bigger than all the other players, pretty much. I mean, it's, um, I think, well, I remember one time I went in to go and talk to him about starting and thinking, oh, I deserve a start at the moment. I should, should be having a start. And I think he was quite canny with what he did. He sort of I w- knocked on the, his office and walked in. I don't know. I think he was just getting changed. Um, but he had his top off and his jeans halfway around his sort of knees and just in his wife front. And he just stood there. Oh, sorry, Di, I'll, I'll, I'll come back and say, no, 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 sit down, sit down, sit down, sit down. I think it was just a massive power play because he knew I was going to come in and ask. He knew exactly what I was going to come in and talk to him about. And he just stood with his hands on his hips and uh, obviously his massive barrel chest and whatnot and just... In his wife was pretty much standing in front of me, and I was just a bit like head down, like right, I've got, I've got nothing here. I don't, I can't say anything. So I was like, right, well, just wanted to see if you're all right, Di, and uh, yeah, so I'll see you later, mate. Sort of thing. He knew exactly what he was doing, and uh, but yeah, he's an interesting, he's a funny character, and yeah, very dry human. And whatnot. So um, yeah, um, any uh, any bush coming out the wife front? No, we're not that type of podcast. We're not, <laughs> not that type of podcast. We'll leave that to uh, to others. Um, and then, so after after wasps, uh, was it dragons? Dragons, yeah. Um, so, like I said, at wasps for five years. Um, me and Di came to sort of Di sort of said to me, I felt he felt look, I, you deserve to go and play somewhere where you're going to play regular start and um, and whatnot. So you need to. I think it's best we part ways here, sort of thing. And I agree. I agreed. And uh, dragons, opportunity. Dragons came up. Um, obviously, earlier in the podcast, said that dad's side's Welsh. Always support Wales from growing up. Trial for Wales when I was for under 18s, uh, actually under 20s, but didn't get picked, and then got picked for England the year after, which doesn't make sense. But um, uh, so I was like, right, well, I'll come for that. And I always, as as any any player playing at top level rugby or any level of rugby from any age group always has an aspiration to play international rugby. I don't think there'll be one person that 
would be playing in sport and not want to get to a, a level of the highest level. And there's always, obviously, once you reach Prem, the next level is international. And then one after that's Lions. So you've always got that sort of ambition in yourself. And for me, I sort of thought um, Dragons would be a very good choice for me um, because when I signed the contract, it was very much, um, they felt that the Nines in Wales were strong, but there's obviously, there was a, there was a chance if you're starting for one of four regions, which is, is the case, then you got one in four chance of being one of the nines that who would be in the squad. So it was a very big incentive for me to sort of go there and um, took sort of a bit, bit less money to go to that, to sort of take, take that opportunity really. Cause it was a bit more about opportunity and, um, you know, uh, take a bit of a risk and have a look and yeah, to sign for Newport um, and spent sort of three years there. Uh, and it was a bit of an up and down, up and down road, if I'm honest, at Dragons. Um, first and foremost, like the boys down there were the best, some of the best bunch of boys I've ever met and played with. Um, you know, very sort of valley boys, but you know they welcome in, very nice, good laugh, and they worked worked their socks off. To be fair, they worked really hard, and um, yeah, I like, really had a good, good, good bunch of lads down there. Um, Unfortunately, coaching coaches wise, didn't really see eye to eye with Lynn Jones in my first year. Um, uh, sort of, I felt like I got promised a lot, which was undelivered. But you know, such is life. And then uh, in my final year, I, I sort of set a similar occasion with uh, uh, Bernard Jackman. But I don't begrudge these guys with anything like this. I don't sort of would sit here and slag anyone off. It's 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 a business. It's it's sort of you know it's all about perception, isn't it really? So, so I perceive myself as being an asset for some things, but the coach might perceive because maybe another player's passes a bit quicker or whatnot. And that was the thing, but obviously as a player and a proud person in myself to, to my ability, I'm always going to, you're always going to disagree with something that's negative against you. So, um, but yeah, my time there was, it was, it was good. Uh, I played a lot of rugby to be fair. Um, you know, a lot of starts and played, a lot of things, and and I look back at it as a as a massive achievement to play for another big another top club because I think I'd I mean you can tell me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure I'd be the probably the youngest player to play in three top top leagues. I think by the age of 24. I mean, to be honest, Charlie, this isn't that kind of podcast, mate. We're not really statos. <laughs> you claim it, mate. And if someone says no... I'm going to claim it. Uh, <laughs> I'm the youngest player to play in two top, three top leagues. Um, <laughs> but, um, no, I don't know that for sure, but um, I think it was my old, old man or someone told me that. And uh, Yeah, so, yeah, just it was... Um, it was my my goal obviously was to go there to play for Wales. Um, it didn't happen, but I got to play a lot of very good rugby um, and you know and, and really enjoyed my time there. Um, and then unfortunately, my last season was sort of uh, I think it was they were trying to get more of a Welsh thing, and because I wasn't a Valley boy and from from uh, Gwent or. They wanted to make it a real place where Gwent players were coming through and Welsh players were coming through. And even though I was half Welsh, um, uh, it didn't sort of count in my favour a little bit. So I was kind of getting a bit faced out. There's a few other guys in the same scenario, really. So, um, yeah, so that sort of came to the end. And um, and then that took took me took me to Northampton. So. Yeah. And then uh, might as well finish 
your rugby yeah. career talking about Northampton then? Um, so, yeah, Northampton. So, basically, I left Dragons. Um, uh, I'd snapped the tendon in my thumb, so I needed an operation after the uh, season. I basically snapped it at Christmas, and I couldn't – it was one of those ones where I needed – I couldn't basically do a thumbs up. And as a scrum half, if I can't move my thumb back to pass the ball, it was a bit difficult. So I basically had to take every game my thumb in a thumbs up position all the time. So I was, so that so it was just open. Um, but I needed an operation at the end of the season because I said, oh, I'll keep playing, um, just tape it up and I'll get it done at the end of the season. But obviously it was let go, unfortunately. So I was a bit kind of like, oh, great. And then uh, <laughs> I was like, well, I've got this thumb to get sorted out. And then, um, so I, I I was a bit, I was clubless at the time. Um, so when I left Dragons, finished Dragons, I kind of thought, oh, I, I don't know what I'm going to be, where I'm going to go or where I'm going to play. And I was a bit lost, really. And um, I was a bit begrudged about the way things had happened at Dragons. And I kind of was starting to ponder retirement and looking at other avenues, but I didn't have a clue what to do. Um, and then thankfully, um, my I got a phone I was on holiday with my now fiance in uh Cyprus and just trying to just forget about everything I thought right go let's go away for a week and forget about things and got a phone call um from Northampton Saints um and said you know would you be interested we feel like we've got they had Kobus Reinach as the main guy and then they had they said we had Alex Mitchell um who was a young nine coming through and we want um, an experienced nine to be there to sort of, you know, if, if Mitch didn't quite make the cut sometimes, then, you know, you, you've got the experience, you play sort of X amount of professional games, you know, what the crack is and would you be interested in us? Obviously, that's another very big club that I was like, wow, that's a, you know, massive club to go and join. And um, so I, I yeah, grabbed it with both hands and I was like, yeah, I want to give this another go, another crack. Um, uh, obviously, it was um, yeah. So yeah, joined, so I joined Northampton. Uh, had to get my thumb sorted, obviously, and then um, was cracking on there. Um, and I kind of when I was at Northampton, it was a bit of a, this is where it started unraveling with me with the rugby. And it was sort of maybe a period of like two three years before that was maybe through the Dragons and coming into Northampton where I started questioning whether I still had the the buzz for things and. Um, as I was going through with, with Northampton, I kind of knew, uh, I, I, I could claim and say, oh, Cobus had the best year of his life because I was there pushing him and training, but um, the guy was an absolute freak. Um, uh, and he, him with, along with, you know, Christian Wade are probably uh, two of the best athletes I've ever played with, like unbelievable athlete. And Cobus just literally had an absolute stormer of a season. And he led it into the World Cup the following year as well. And he he basically was out of the South African team and be playing in England and whatnot, but then broke, got into a World Cup squad on the basis of his uh, performances in, in Northampton because he he would win games single-handedly for the team. Um, but then also Mitch, Alex Mitchell, who I would say is actually technically probably a little bit better than Cobus at being a nine in the sense of stepping out, drawing defenders, passing and whatnot. Um and just sort of had a bit more of a natural gift with that. Uh, actually then was just as good as Kovas when Kovas wasn't playing. He was having amazing things. So I was sort of sat there <laughs> twiddling my thumbs a bit, being like, right. Um, 
and then playing A-League on a Monday, which I really enjoyed because a lot, half the time was just playing with the, the younger guys and the sort of, I mean, a lot of them called me uncle, which was like quite nice. I, don't, I, I knew I was getting a bit older then because I was getting, well, probably drunk enough, which is the thing. So, um, you know, and I'd sort of try and be a bit of a mentor for these younger guys. And I sort of found my role in that team is that um, I'd be with the sort of reserve side of things a lot more than the first team. Um, and obviously with the, prestige, the, the sort of standard and the, the, the high-class players they had at Northampton, um, you know, you, you're not, you're not going to find yourself as, if you're not a first-team regular, to be a leader in that team. You have to find yourself as in a role in something else. You know, I'm never going to be a Dan Bigger of that team because um, Dan Bigger's got X amount of caps of Wales and he's one of the best players. Um, I, I found myself as a role as being a bit of a mentor for these younger guys and there was a lot of younger guys coming through. Um, and I really did enjoy that role. Um, but then I just started... Um, not playing, getting a buzz at the weekend and playing first team rugby. Um, and I just sort of questioning, are you, are you doing, first of all, are you doing everything you can to be in that first team squad? Probably not because you haven't got that buzz to get out of bed every morning to bust your balls and eat right, like not go out, you know, um, train hard and X, Y, Z. And I just sort of find myself starting to lose that buzz. And then in training, and started getting it. It was very difficult to turn up, put a smile on your face and be, you know, happy and go through the things. But to know that you still have to do the work, but then know you're never going to play was just starting to grate on me a little bit. And I just started to question things, whether I, like I said, needs to set, re do a reset and see where, where, thing, where, where new things could take me. Um, and then it was... A conversation with Chris Boyd's. Um, it was like a review of the. It was sort of, I think it was about February, March time, and I was obviously up in the air with contract, didn't know what was going on, but then sort of fifty-fifty whether I wanted to actually carry on or not. Um, and Chris Boyd then sort of turned around to me, and this is where the game's going as well, in the sense that he turned around to me and said, "I think think you're great. You've done a great job here. You're good with the younger guys, especially." Um, but you're not old, but you're not young anymore. Um, and we want to push on the young players coming through. And that's where it shows as well that, that this, this game itself, rugby itself, is, is really moving into a massively a young, young man sport. Where before, if you were 25, between 25 to 29, I'd have thought at 29, I would have been in sort of prime, 28, 29, sort of prime age, scrum half, a lot of experience, whatnot. There's, these guys are coming through at the age of, if you think back when I said about Stad and not doing any weights at 18, 19 and had to bulk up very quickly, you got guys coming through at 15, 16 that are full-grown full athletes these days. So they're, they're ahead of the curve a bit. And the, these younger guys coming through these days are, are just, the, the, the game is just progressing on a little bit. So once he told me that, I, I just I said to him, you know, thank you very much for your honesty because that's, that's the push I needed. Um, and I just decided, like, I just was in a very... I wasn't unhappy. I wasn't say I wasn't depressed about things or anything like that, but I just was at a point where I was at a stalemate and I sort of questioned where, where's, where's this going to take you? If you keep doing this for another couple of years, you're going to, you're just going to be going downwards, backwards and not moving on with stuff and going to be stuck. So I just made the decision and it was a hard decision. You know, so it was all I've known since I was pretty much nine years old. That's all I've obsessed about. And I just sort of said, right, that's, that's, that's it. I'm going to call it quits and, and see what happens next. And then, yeah, that takes me to the end of my career. That's the end of the career.
And then, I mean, to be fair, there's a lot we can talk about. Just because I know people sent an effort into sending questions, before we move on to rugby memories, I just want to quickly dive into these three questions I've got on my face today. You don't have to give much big, uh, big answers for them. First one, do you like chilled, sexy vibes? Oh, chill, sexy vibes all the way. That's my thing. Uh, who's that from? Connor, was it? Or someone? Uh, Andy.cole22. Andy Cole, yes. Andy Cole, big shout out Andy Cole from Defected. Um, that's from, uh, I was working at a festival last last year and you had to send things into the WhatsApp group being like, how's the stage? I was managing a stage um, with DJs on it. And um, uh, I, I was like, main stage, it's got real chill, sexy vibes. And everyone's like, what's chill, sexy vibes? Got? <laughs> what are you on about? Like, who are you, Jackie Moon? Like, I'm just like... <laughs> so yeah that's so, so yeah so always chill sexy vibes always always put a bit of Gregory Porter on the back with a glass of wine that's me so <laughs> I think we found the uh, the name of this week's podcast film yeah easily easily chill sexy vibes um second question favorite bar or restaurant in London um oh it's t- not a very actually it's not a tough place a place called Schoolhouse in Clapham Junction if you're ever in Clapham Junction oh, yeah. go to Schoolhouse it's obviously when things open back up um it's uh it's top place i've had a lot of good fun there um good foods good good like owners and, and whatnot and like it's good luck yeah so schoolhouse schoolhouse um don't go now because you'll be queuing for a while um and final question favorite aussie teammate this could be really awkward don't tell him who it's from i'm not <laughs> <laughs> this, yeah, this is gonna be awkward favorite aussie teammate there's a couple, obviously. I mean, there's one that I think it's. I mean, I have to go with the guy that probably the best player I've ever played, said I played with, Benny Jacobs, because, uh, yeah. yeah. That came from uh, Andrew Kells. So. Oh, Kellaway! Kells, I meant Kells, I meant Kells. That's not going to sit, is it? That's red Lightning, Red Lightning, all the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, just. Quickly, before obviously we've mentioned DJ and just quickly a quick kind of two minute roundup how you got into that because didn't I see you were on a lineup with uh, a certain former rugby player as well not long ago? Yeah, so um, all, all the way through my r- rugby career, like music's been like my escape as such. I mean, everyone obviously, everyone can say they love music and music is everyone's connected to music, but um, I, my sort of pastime was DJing and um yeah just mixing and, and whatnot and um that was what kind of one of the things when i left rugby i, I went um to work for a record label in london um and again my i, I must just be a very good networker because i got put, put in contact with um simon dunmore who's the owner of defected records mm-hmm. um and he was a Northampton Saints fan. So I was just, I'm just either a good network or in the right place at the right time my whole life. So, <laughs> um, and yeah, just, and then that's when I said I worked at festivals last year and, and events. I did a big summer of um, work experience for them and then got offered a job um, for them and was working all the way through lockdown. Unfortunately, because it's working in events and music, it's it's not happening. I'm a, I got um, lost a job through redundancy. Um, few months back um but such is life and a lot of people are in worse positions than i am right now so um uh but yeah like the music side of things is just yeah it's passion so i've sort of getting into like producing 
uh, as well and just yeah DJing so like I said I did a charity live stream at James Haskell's house which had some mega DJs on and was a really good experience and uh, yeah just that's just something that's I think a lot of people thought oh, I'm leaving rugby to go become a DJ it's not the case at all it's all um, that's just like my massive hobby that's like if I want to escape for a few hours I, I, I do my music and um, if I get a chance to play in front of people, then it's it's a bonus. So, am I right in thinking that you and Haskell's relationships quite sort of love hate with each other? Because obviously you've been together at Stad and Wasps, and then for a year at Saints when neither of you were playing. So yeah. you were just taking the piss out of each other for basically a year. And I remember a video of you guys in the ground, and I think Hask was doing some media. And yeah. you're standing in the end for those who haven't been to Franklin's Gardens, there's an entrance tunnel by the offices, and you're heckling him. You're recording it on your phone and putting it on your Instagram. He's recording it on his phone, putting it on his Instagram. Yeah. You two are just going at each other hammer and tongue. What, what's that <laughs> Yeah, no, I remember because he's always telling like you'd be on the media and say, like, young kids are always on the phones and they don't have anything going on and you know, and then you look at Haskies on his Instagram like twenty four seven. But I mean, he's very busy and he, he works like really hard. But no, I wouldn't say it's love hate. I'd say it's 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 definitely love love with me and Hask. Like you said, I've known him, I've known him for eleven years. Uh, like at Stad, he was he was great with me at Stad, and then obviously at Wasps, I was with him for years, and then met him at Saints. And uh, we 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 also have that connection with music and DJing. So um, I think if anyone. Uh, there's a few things to say about Hass. I know he's outspoken and he'll say some stuff to offend people sometimes, but he's honest <laughs> and about what he thinks. But then I, I haven't met a bloke that has worked harder than him. Um, mm. When he was a rugby player, he would be the most professional player, you know, eating, training wise. Um, and then being now being retired and trying to have all his businesses, he's got, I think he's got like three or four podcasts he's got. You know, other branding, and he's got his DJ, and he's learning to produce. He's doing all this. He's, you know, the guy must be exhausted. You know, I do my job in the morning, then do study in the afternoon. And I'm ready to sort of tuck up and watch a film by sort of six o'clock. <laughs> so, um, the guy works harder than anyone I've ever met. So, you know, I've got a real appreciation for that. But yeah, like I said, he, he's he's always been a character, and yeah, I've got a lot of time and respect for the man. Yeah, I mean, if he wants to come on the fifth. Just let us know, James. Um, but also, I guess the next time we'll see you in the public eyes on the jungle, in the jungle, because it sounds like you're following. Um, yeah, that's the thing we might meet on that one. <laughs> I'd be a right grumpy get on the jungle, I think. I think I'm quite, I count myself as quite a high, smiley, happy sort of person, but um, I'm getting better in the mornings. But I mean, um, my old uh, mate of mine, Ed Jackson, who um, we used to share lifts and dragons and uh, he used to hate picking me up on a Monday because you've been on a few beers on the weekend as well. They said they're just so miserable. You just said, I hate you on a Monday. You're just so, you're like a dementor. And I used to be terrible in the morning. So I think if I was on that show with lack of food and lack of sleep, I think people would start annoying me and probably see a different side of me. <laughs> <laughs> um, Phil, do you want to quickly go through the rugby memories? Yeah. So uh, for this one, I will pick Charlie. What is your worst rugby memory? Worst rugby memory. Uh, it is. I gave away a penalty at the end of a quarter final against Beerix for Wasps. Um, 
I still think it wasn't a penalty. I looked at that, but <laughs> I gave a penalty away against Spirits in the quarterfinal, Challenge Cup quarterfinal, and uh, what's his name? Yashvili kicked yeah. it, and then they won. And I was, yeah, so that's probably what, that. What was the penalty? Was it Jacqueline? It was coming through the rock. He sort of picked the ball up and was stepping away, and I sort of came through the rock and tackled him pretty much. But the ref said I was, uh, you can't do that to the nine or something, but I was like, the ball's out, and it was a bit of a... Did yeah. you not say you can't do that because you're a nine? Probably, yeah. That's probably what it was. But I think it was, you can't touch Yashvili, to be honest, because he was a bit... Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, fair enough. Any, any, so, yeah. I mean, we had like a really hard-fought game, and a beer excess, I think, from from right, um, if I can remember, they they went on to win it that year. So um, yeah, it was gutting, and it took me quite a while to get over that. But I didn't get too much stick, thankfully. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, favorite rugby memory? Uh, favorite rugby memory? Probably my first Premiership start um, was at Twickenham against Saracens, and Saracens had just won the Premiership, and we we won. And we um, and it was I played like eighty minutes and that was one of the toughest games I've ever played and um, that's probably one of my favourite rugby memories. Yeah, I mean uh, to go and do that, I think it was sort of fifty odd thousand and and whatnot. Never played at Twickenham before, um, home of rugby and whatnot. So uh, yeah, that's probably I'd, I'd say that's right up there with one of my favourite favourite memories. It's not a bad rugby memories. Yeah, there's some pretty good rugby memories, aren't they? They'd be. Yeah. Yeah, they beat the promotion at Pavs and they beat the injuries that we've had from everyone else. So, yeah, they're not, they're not the worst. Um, just before we let you go, we just want to touch on kind of, obviously, like you said, you you kind of finished rugby to what some people would think is early. Um, now, your mum's quite heavily involved in the post-playing setup for uh, for rugby players. Do you think there's enough out there for ex-pros? Do you think it's getting better? Do you think there needs to be more? Um, so I think I think it's getting a lot better. I think um, it's the old adage when you're you when I was young and got told oh you need to study and you know and whatnot. I didn't. I was like I've got all my eggs in this basket and I'm not going to sort of buy the time. But thinking now, it's like it's so important to have these qualifications. And I think I think like I said before with France, France have it right a little bit. They, they make sure the young guys have to study alongside the thing. It's in their contract. They have to do it. Um, and, but I think it's, it's getting definitely a lot better. Like you said, my, my old girl, Carol, she's, she's working hard to have a business just to help players and post posting. And I know she's already helped a lot of guys come through with um, different qualifications degrees. She's got me onto um, uh, a, company called IT Online Learning, which is what I'm doing, my project management thinks. Because unfortunately, especially during this time, period of time at the moment where everyone's struggling with 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 work and what, what's going on in the world and um, you just sort of have to adapt. So if you've got companies like uh, Future Smart that's um, helping people get through the sort of transitional stage, then it, it, it's definitely helpful. Because I think that the thing for me that really stood out with what I struggled with most was I thought I'd initially just completely miss the boys and be gutted about everything. And it wasn't necessarily that because I kind of felt if I wanted to have banter with mates and stuff like that, I can go on the phone or I can go see some people. It wasn't, it wasn't necessarily the, the sense of that. It was what I really struggled with. It was the routine, not having anything to get out of bed for in the morning. And I think that's what these companies uh, like Future Smart and whatnot are going to really help with guys is they're going to give them a bit of sense of direction 
in rugby, you have a goal every single week. You get told exactly what you need to wear, where you need to be, what time you need to be there. You know, we're working on this exactly to win this game. This is how we're going to win it. And then you go at the end of the week to do that. All of a sudden, when you don't have that, it's very difficult. And I found myself slobbing and watching countless Netflix series and, and whatnot. And um, yeah, not that sense of direction. So with these companies now, it's really vital for these guys to look into it and um, look into that sort of progression to get that routine and then to have that sense of direction and a, and a goal and a target in the future. Great. I mean, we, we've touched on it previously, but Phil, was there anything when you step back? Yeah, so when I was um, playing championship rugby, the the only thing that was in place um, was the RPA, which was only really accessible if you played in the Premier, hmm. the Premiership. You know, they didn't really look after championship players, um, and and that was when I started working with Charlie's mum, Carol on this it wasn't called Future Smart then it was it was under a different name then but we started working towards it and, and coming up with ideas of, of how we could help players um, I did a foundation degree with the old company as it was um, which, which helped me just sort of show a willing to to any employee that I, employer rather that I wanted to go and work for after but there are other courses available then and I think Future Smart has developed a bit further with, with how it helps players now but I, I do think there's a lack of, and I think teams like Saracens have obviously made a bit of an effort towards setting lads up for for post career, but a lot of clubs haven't, um, and especially the championship level now, where you know there's a lot of lads in that championship league that have played in that league for ten years, eight, nine, ten years, and they come out of it unless they've done something off their own back with no help. Um, especially now, it's kind of gone semi pro again, and potentially, you know, it's, it's going to have all funding removed. Never mind. 50%. So it's it's a very strange um I was I was very fortunate to fall into a job that I have and, and you know I've moved up the the chain a bit but um there's a lot of lads who you know have come out and, and just taken a job in teaching because they needed a job you know it's not necessarily what they desperately wanted to do but they it's kind of the easiest job or doing something that you know they're not that devoted to but they need an income coming out of a, you know, not that well-paid career in rugby. So it's, um, it's a tough one. Um, and I, sometimes I just feel like the RFU don't really worry about that. Like they don't feel like that's their issue, which, you know, to be fair, it prob- probably isn't their issue, but I think there is a gap there and, and, you know, companies like Carol's setup are, are going to be very effective for a lot of lads, especially premiership players who, like Charlie says, have just had this organised lifestyle for as many years as they've been in it. To suddenly come to the end, they need that organisation sort of in the crossover between ending their career and starting their new career. Yeah, I, I completely agree with just saying, backing up the, with the, like you said, the, you're spoon-fed as a professional player. Everything's done for you, um, down to, you know, when... In Northampton, it was the case where you sort of, you'd have your shakes ready, you'd have everything ready, you know, everything was on point to get you to play the best you could at the weekend. So for me, I think it took me a while to have that kind of shakedown as well, because I was quite lucky to move from straight from rugby. I had an amazing sort of summer of retirement because I was just going, working at these festivals and doing work experience, all these things and yeah, whatnot. And um, then got landed a job on my 
with with defecting was in an industry all of a sudden that I really like was passionate about with music. But I built that not because of any qualifications, but I built that because of connections I had with rugby and the, I built rapport and got got to that point. Unfortunately, what a guy, a lot of guys, and like you said, this emphasis of this transition needs to be put onto guys because what's happened to me now is I got made redundant from defected, obviously with this current climate of, of the pandemic. But um, I then started looking at jobs uh, elsewhere to see what not I could do. And I've, I've, I was like, I couldn't, the jobs I wanted, I couldn't get my foot in the door because I didn't have X qualification or I didn't have X experience or, or whatnot. Um, and then there was other jobs which I wasn't interested in, which I could have got, but I didn't really, I was like, I'm, I'm not going to go down that career path because it's not going to get me to where I want to be in a few years. So I've had to then now take a step back and I'm doing a delivery job for Hermes to, just every morning, Monday to Saturday, just to, to, to pay pay for my mortgage and, and whatnot and be able to live with my fiance. Um, and then what Future Smart have done with me now is bespoke to me personally and gone, what do you want to do? And I sort of whittled it down to being project manager. And then now that's the thing I've having to work my ass off every day to study for that, to then hopefully get qualifications to the end, get on that career path. So like I said, that emphasis of players needing that stuff because these days it doesn't go very far these days that you're a rugby player. And I think in industries, I think 10 years ago, it went quite far. There's a lot of companies that would be like, Oh, you can come and manage a company because you're, you're a rugby player. But these days it's like, it's so competitive to get jobs. And like I said, that emphasis on these players to, to have that direction, to, to have a, a goal for a new career path is, is vital because you can get lost in the middle of it if you don't. So, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, thanks for thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no, it's been good to catch up, catch catch up with you both. And yeah, no, it's been it's been it's been great to chat to you. There's a, I feel like there might be a lot of a lot of editing to to go through to get us down to a reasonable listen. <laughs> so, I mean, exactly snackable content. That is it. <laughs> no, I mean the only bit we can cut out is when Charlie just went. I'm just going for a piss. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll cut this bit out now. I don't know. Um, but yeah, thanks for coming on, mate. And uh, we'll chat to you soon. Pleasure. Cheers, guys. Thanks very much. Well, there we go. Charlie Davies. Great pod. Good Lost pod. Him. Very uh, interesting career for someone who basically went from Nottingham to, to Stade Francais having met someone in a hotel. Um, I mean, that's, that is probably one of the best interviews you'll ever have for a job, never mind work playing at Stade Francais at that point when they were just full of absolute legends. Um, and yeah. I'm unbelievably jealous that he got to play with Parise, who is imagine probably my favourite ever player. Yeah, imagine having to you just you just follow, don't you? And you just, oh mate, mate, incredible. The story is incredible. There's some good stories in there actually. Uh, good ton of content as well. Um, if people want to find out more about his mum's company, what do they have to search? They need to search. Oh, you've put me on the edge there, haven't you? We'll, we'll drop the information down below. It's changed names a couple of times, uh, and I can't remember exactly what it was, but he did say it during the pod, so you'll probably you have did. to pick that up. You did. Think smart, maybe. I don't know. Future smart. Future, future smart. smart. Okay, future smart. I can edit out all the bit there where we have no fucking idea what we're about. And then... <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> in future. Um, no, so that 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 sounds cool. You so you I didn't realise you had a part to play in that as well. I tried to help Carol out for a while a few years ago. Um probably didn't help her that much to be honest. But um I did my best. Did your best. Um any club notices? Not particularly. Uh obviously the RFU uh basically just crawled into a shell and died. Um, both on community <laughs> rugby front and the championship rugby front. Um, but uh, I think having had a discussion last night, we're going to try and start doing some kind of exercise as a team um, via Zoom or Teams um, and you know get the head of SNC on that one, hopefully. But you know, he's probably really busy having breakfast on a Saturday morning at mum and dad's. So um, we'll, we'll see, we'll organise that, see how many people are interested uh, and and work from there on that, I think. But uh, keep your ears to the ground on that one, I'm sure. We'll bang it out on the Palace Pod Instagram, etc., cetera, and, yeah. and go from there. And I'm sure there might be even some sessions that the head of SSE can run for everyone, not just people. Who play oh, definitely, yeah. It will be for all. It won't just be for... For rugby players, anyone who who fancies it and and wants to hear a load of people abusing each other on a Saturday morning, uh, and possibly Tom in a leotard would be welcome. I mean, that's normally pay per view, but we'll uh, we'll discuss the logistics of uh, getting me into a leotard and then get me out of a leotard. See how easy it is for me to do it. As um, long as it's not pay per pound, people might be able to afford it. To be fair. <laughs> Paper fan of that, <laughs> you wouldn't want to honestly. You'd uh, take out a mortgage and <laughs> be very disappointed at the end of it. <laughs> um, so yeah, so that's hopefully on the horizon. Um, also, remember today's probably, probably as you're listening to this, or as this goes out for the first time, it'll be the start of the Six Nations first few games. So get your teams in on Guinness Fantasy rugby.com or whatever it is links in the bio check out social media and um, also looking to do some more social media video content so keep eyes out for that as well um philip any wise words um went out in paris with famous people choose them wisely and don't take your wallet because they will have more money than you correct correct cool um in that case i will see you in the week and uh have a nice weekend bye, bye.